Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lee O'Brien. Hi Lee. Hello Stephanie. And once again, we're here to talk about crime because oh, we can't no. stop talking about crime. <laughs> Not again. Uh, yes. So today we are talking about um, a book written in 1931 yeah. and it's a book written by somebody who has a somewhat familiar name, Lois Austin Lee. And if you're thinking Austin, that sounds familiar, then you would be right. She is a descendant of the great Jane Austen. And this book is called The Incredible Crime, and it was recently republished by the British Library Crime Classics series. I'm the one who got you onto this you book, are. unfortunately, yes, um, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so, Lee. Have we found a detective story that we don't like? Yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> possibly. Lee, 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 how do you feel about this book that I, I pressed into your hands without yes. having read it? When I when I said I was interested in reading it, it, it was a blind. It was a blind. Testing. Yeah, it was a blind testing. What did you think? <laughs> well, I have an axe to grind. I read it over Christmas, Stephanie. Yeah, and, and I I spent a few. You know, the day that I was reading it, I was quite irate. Not with you, with with the story. I have actually ruined. I think part of the Christmas was not as merry as it could have been. Oh, all dear. because of you. Oh. Um, I don't know. The jury, but I have to say the jury is out for me because I can't. This one is complicated. I can't actually figure out precisely what is going on. I tried. I did what you know, I tell my students never to do. You can't you know, go, go and check out the author. But I tried to check out the author to find out if she was some toffee-nosed snob, you know, heavily invested in, in the ruling classes, or if she was a fire-breathing radical. Yeah, uh, I suspect read, the former somehow. Uh, well, yes. So anyway, I couldn't find anything about her. I, um, I, so that, that, that didn't help. So I had to retreat to the text. Oh, yes. it's very new critical uh, of you. Very, yes. Really, you know, I had to brush up my formalist yeah. <laughs> credentials. So, well... Um, I, I'll tell you what I didn't like about it. The thing that just leapt off the page and that I hated more than anything was the fox hunting. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem with this novel because the whole novel is organized around the idea of hunting and the predatory, the predator and the prey. There is a hell of a lot of fox hunting in this there novel. There is a hell of a lot of fox hunting. And our heroine, Prudence, is a first-rate, fox hunter she what do they call them a bruising rider to hounds uh, I, I I cannot deal with the whole idea of fox hunting I know it's central to upper class um, values and all the rest of it um, it, it still is apparently I've seen things on YouTube they still have the hunt saboteurs and clashes with hunters and God knows what and well I did read that Prince Harry was a big hunter until oh, he met Megan who doesn't approve oh good so on good Megan. on her oh yes. great oh well well, yeah. well one up for her good on you Megan Michael. Yeah, yeah yeah good on you because um, the cruelty of it I can't I can't stand uh, and um, and it's also super boring to read about oh, I don't want to read yeah, about like yeah. how mm. where you let the I don't I don't understand how it works I don't want to understand how it works I don't want to read long no, narrated bits about no, it no no the horses are nice I will I will admit that, that that some of the horses are nice. You and I have encountered this before with Georgette. Yes. Uh, our, our, our 
friend. Um, our, our friend Georgette. We're on we're on first name terms we with Georgette, on, of course. We've decided that we have to be because we've read so much of her. You know, we feel we know her, which mm. of course we don't. But you know, this is our delusion, isn't it? But uh, it, Georgette makes it very clear that that hunting of all kinds, but particularly fox hunting, because it's involved with horses and blah blah, all that kind of stuff, is inseparable from a certain kind of aristocratic social bonding. They bond over the, you know, hunting of an animal to death and having watching it being torn to death by a pack of dogs. Mm. I <laughs> well, can't why, think of anything more pleasant to do with an afternoon. Why wouldn't you do yeah, that on yeah. a lovely Sunday afternoon? So yeah. that threw me completely because it's not as if it's an optional extra, which it possibly is with Georgette Hire's romances because she uses it to code certain manly virtues, and you can ignore a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's also a, not so central. And it's yeah. No, it's never central. Mm-hmm. It, it's part of her characterisation. This is central. The, the main trope is hunting, mm-hmm. and foxes are central to the plot. Mm-hmm. So um, you can't get away from it. it, it and it, it, it did that thing with me that it's, it's really hard once this happened. If you hate the heroine or the hero, but in this case it's the heroine, well, what are you going to do? Um, and how are you, you going to keep reading? Because I thought she was a total pain in the um, neck. Mm. So that threw me a lot. Then we have the thing that you mentioned the other day where her education is in female submissiveness. This was my biggest, you, so you said yes. your biggest problem is the fox hunting. Yes. My biggest problem with this was the romance plot, which made yes. me want to like literally rip the book yes. in half. Yes, burn it. Burn it and, and stamp and on the ashes. Salt the earth, yeah. <laughs> um, the So the romance plot in this novel is literally her learning to be submissive. Yes. and and learning. To the greater intellect. And there's and there's mm. no there's no heart that's not subtextual that is no, text. No, no, that's that's that's, the, yeah, that's the, right there. The male, the hero, mm. literally says to her yes. that what you need to learn is that I'm superior to you yes. intellectually, morally, and, and socially. Course, yes, and of course, of course, we're going to have to do that, aren't we? Yeah, and then she yes. says, and then she comes to learn that yes, he is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, a, yeah. why are you still hanging out with this dude? run in the other direction, screaming, and two, like, this is presented as something that she literally definitely should do. It's the right thing to do to learn Mm. to be submissive to him. Yes, of course. Well, look, it saves a lot of time if you don't fuss around. If you don't About like being independent, yeah. If you, you know? don't, if you don't try and subvert patriarchal well, values, it's much not. easier. You know, you're going to be a lot happier if yeah. you just knuckle under. You know, don't, don't be silly, Stephanie. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, we we have to learn to be submissive. Of course, we do. And he's such an <sighs> asshole too. Oh, well, yes, he is. Also, I never quite recovered. From the early descriptions of him, A, he's dirty, Yeah, he's got this ragged beard, he's got long hair, and worse than anything, he's missing several of his front teeth. Now, I, yeah. I thought what at a, this what a picture. point, yes, I, I really did think that there was a little, I know we can have rough, you know, rough around the edge of rough diamond kind of heroes, you know, the Rochester kind of, Heathcliff, may I say, that that, that kind of hero. Which he's 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 sort of in that mould, although he's an intellectual as well. And what he actually does, I don't understand. But anyway, mm. so I didn't quite um, recover from that either. So we had the fox hunting heroine, we had the toothless hero. Um, the interesting thing about the toothless hero bit, though, is that he does go through a process of transformation. He seeks help from the the friends of theirs and. 
says he loves Prudence and what can he do? And well, for starters, you need to go to the dentist. And he takes it all on and he and he, he has dirty hands. That that just put me off. You know, I'm a germ freak. So that he had to, that that was another thing that was anyway, he he gets he gets beyond this. Stephanie, if you could see the look on Stephanie. I'm so super sceptical. I'm like, just because he had a wash doesn't mean he's good. <laughs> like he, he had a shower, Lee, uh, yeah, really. Yeah, that's well, all. yeah, I don't think they have showers. You well, know, you know what I mean. They ha- and, he had a bath. Another thing that worries me about these country, these country houses is that there never quite seem to be enough bathrooms to me. Yeah, I know. There's I, always like 17 uh, bedrooms. Yeah, and one bathroom. And I've yeah. never understood how that, how that could even remotely work. Well, you know, I was I was discussing a conference that yeah. I'm organising the other day, and there was there was a discussion of of some student accommodation some delegates were staying oh. in, and somebody made the said the word shared bathroom, oh. and my face must have dropped because everyone yeah. laughed at me yes. at the, the no, sheer horror have, no, on my face. No, I so wouldn't I, have laughed. No, yes, I, no, no. The shared, shared bathroom. bathroom. Yes, just no. say no. We stay no. home. We stay home. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. No, we don't do that. No. So, and a lot of these. <laughs> country houses seem to have those kind of facilities so i i do wonder about privilege and wealth if it can't give you a bathroom for every bedroom i don't want to know about it basically. yeah what's the point of what's being rich point? unless you have your own yes. suite? And, and, and yeah. preferably to a shoe room as well as a bathroom yeah. and a yeah. walk-in wardrobe for every bedroom why wouldn't you have this if you were in the super I mean, rich look if you could have 17 bedrooms then yeah. like why not 17 bathrooms? well you know but what's just like with that if you need space just drop it down to 15 no, no, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Standards are standards. It's 17. Well, in fact, 20 or 21 because you have to have bathrooms for guests. Yeah, well, that's true. They yeah. can't use the en suite. No, yeah. Get it right. Yeah, know. okay. Sorry. sorry. You know. Yeah. Yes. So, so, so he's dirty and, and gross. Yes, he's gross. He, he mm. has a little bit, yeah, I agree. Yes, he has a little yes. bit of a makeover, but yes. he's still an objectionable human. Yes. Um, even mm. if he has had a bath. Well, we hope he has. Well, yeah, that, and he that's has sort of been the interstices of the narration. We don't actually, we don't actually see the hear bath. about the shower. Yeah. I'd prefer to hear about it or the, even a bath if it has to be yeah. a bath. Yeah, no, yeah, right. no. We don't hear about that. And he's still a horrible person. Yes. I agree with you. I, I started off liking Prudence in like the first couple of Did chapters. You? No. Oh, okay. But, well, no, um, I didn't. But, no. but. It was very short, like. It was by, by yes. chapter three, I think I was yeah. over it. So she's um, an, an, yeah. Hmm. She is, yes. I, yeah, I never really, I, I just couldn't yeah. take to her at all. The name Prudence, too. I know. I mean, really, uh, the name, it's it's not... Um, it, it doesn't set you up no, well, does it? No, no, She's Yeah, she's not great. Um, <sighs> so what yeah. You, so this is, this is what Stephanie, listeners, this is what Stephanie inflicted upon us. And I then know. we said we were going to do a podcast on it. Well, look, in the first chapter, she's talking about modern detective fiction. So there's a bit of metatextual fun. Yes, there is. Oh, no, there's actually a lot of metatextual fun. There is a lot of metatextual fun. I think there's a big but to what we're saying. I think there is possibly, yes. Yes, I think there's a big but. And the big but is Northanger Abbey. Yeah. So Northanger Abbey, I'm assuming that most of our listeners haven't read this. I don't know if they're going to run and read it after what we have to say. (laughs) Well, how can they resist it? Yeah, yeah. Toothless hero. Really? Toothless hero (laughs) and an awful heroine um, and people who don't bathe. Fuck something. Um, Yeah. So so what happens in in the novel um, is that part of Jane Austen's famous defense of the novel, which appears in Northanger Abbey, is quoted in the novel. And, you know, somebody says, I can't remember who, oh, who's that by? Oh, that's just the daughter of a parson. So she has a bit of fun with her. A dismissive reference yeah, to Jane. Yes. To, to her um, illustrious, illustrious. Um, ancestor. Yes. Um, 
I don't know if she's being clever or if she's just throwing it out there. Well, this is what I couldn't figure out. So I'm assuming everybody listening to these podcasts knows Northanger Abbey. Yes, we have a very literate audience. So, yes, we do. And, and this is why we love them. And yeah. <laughs> this is why we keep, you know, doing these recordings for them. Yeah. Because too many of these, re- barely, all that. So, so we've got the refer- the dismissive, possibly ironic reference to Jane. Then we have the famous, they actually quote a slab of this. And this is, see, I'll read what they quote. And it's a famous section. It's Henry Tilney's. demolition of the beautiful young heroine Mm. Catherine Morland because if you know the novel Catherine is in Bath she's this young girl and she's reading everything around her through the lens through the perspective of her reading of gothic fiction so she's looking for sequestered heroines and murdered wives and, and tyrannical violent patriarchs and what she actually runs flat up against is the cruelties of modern society, male cruelty, sexual predation. The the General Tilney is not a standard Gothic um, villain who would murder his wife, but the implication of the novel is that he was such a vile and nasty husband that she sort of dwindled into death. And so, and he's he throws Catherine out of the house when he realises he's invited her to visit Northanger Abbey because he wants her to marry his son Henry because he thinks she's rich, finds out that she's not rich. So he throws 18-year-old Catherine Morland, the sweetest, one of Austen's sweetest heroines, out into the cold, cold snow and she has to get home alone um, without any money. And it's only because Eleanor Tilney gives her money that she can actually get home safely. Mm. So it's a very clever take on what, what what gothic might stop us seeing and what realist fiction allows us to see. So it's caught up with the culture wars of mm. what a novel, you know all these things. Mm. So, and Henry Tilney's statement is central to that. So he finds it, it's wonderfully written because Catherine goes searching Northanger Abbey for hidden rooms where the wife could have been locked up and starved to death. And she's found by Henry skulking around. It makes you cre- It's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's so embarrassing, yeah. Re- re- yeah. And he says, Consider the dreadful nature of the suspicions you have entertained. What have you been judging from? Remember the country and the age in which we live. Remember that we are English, <laughs> that we are Christians. Consult your understanding, your own sense of the probable, your own observation of what is passing around you. Does our education prepare us for such atrocities? Do our laws connive at them? Could they be perpetrated without being known in a country like this, where social and literary intercourse is on such a footing, where every man is surrounded by a neighbourhood of voluntary spies and where roads and newspapers lay everything open? Dearest Miss Morland, what ideas have you been admitting? Mm. They had reached the end of the gallery and with tears of shame she ran off to her own room. Now this is the great moment where Catherine has to come down to earth. Now, I always read that out in my classes on Northanger Abbey and ask them, is Henry right? How are we mm. supposed to read Henry's statement. Do we take that at face value or do we not? He's wrong. He's wrong, isn't he? Completely. Now, we think he is, but does the novel think he is? I would argue yes, because I think the novel is smart enough to know that on one level he's right in that he's right that his father isn't an actual murderer. Yes. But on the other hand, 
he's very wrong because yeah. he, her father is just Tantum. his father is is a is a gothic villain in that he is a horrible mean he's vile bully, bully. Mm. also i think that you have to look at actually what he's saying and what he's saying is that murders can't happen in england and they, and that's, and they clearly and that's, can. That's, yeah. And also, it, he's talking about, implicit in that is the marriage laws. Can, where social and literary intercourse is on, do our laws connive at such atrocities? Yeah. Well, of course they do. Of course they do. And yeah. Austen must have been aware of the marriage laws. When a woman married, she lost all her property. Mm -hmm. Anything she inherited, she herself she became property. Became property. Yeah. The children became property. Anything she could inherit, anything mm -hmm. she could earn, became the property of the husband. So, yeah. of course, the laws don't only connive at atrocity, they make the atrocity yeah. possible. Yeah. Now, Austen must have known that she did i'm still not can i still don't know what how we're supposed to fit that in with henry because henry remains the hero yes he does of northanger abbey yeah now that passage is quoted by the canadian the 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 um the, the agent who's mm. come to try and figure out whether drugs are coming into the country in the in the incredible crime and i and it's used to exculpate Professor Temple from mm. murder, the charge of murder, of murdering Welland, the cousin. And I think, see, I, th I actually think Austen Lee might be having our reading of Henry Tilney. Mm. And I think she's act if she's done what I think she's done, she's done something incredibly clever because what we do have is this toothless hero who is actually a murderer. Mm. And so Prudence has learnt to be subservient to a man who has killed, who's murdered her cousin mm. because he's jealous of him. He's jealous because Prudence and Welland are close. And he's killed Welland because Welland has refused to keep importing foxes. I know it sounds silly, but he's importing um, foxes. <laughs> this is crazy. In order to in kill order, them. In order, yes, but in order so that Professor Temple can do some kind of, he can develop a vaccine or something. Yeah, some sort of it's medical experimentation medical that's very thing. kind of hazily defined. And, and he needs yeah. a super fox. <laughs> Yeah. So Welland has been bringing foxes into the country and and Welland decides that he can't do this anymore. And what we're told about Temple is that he has this explosive temper. Mm. We're also told in the opening chapters that Temple has developed a drug that is in, that it kills people, it gives them a heart attack and is undetectable. And unwisely, he has boasted about that at the cocktail party that begins yeah. at the beginning of the novel. Now, this is why I'm, in, I'm interested in your reading of it. Do you say, okay, we, we, we align ourselves with the Canadian detective, yes, of, who first thinks that Professor Temple has murdered Welland and then decides quoting Henry Tilney mm. that this cannot have happened because this kind of thing doesn't happen in England and more importantly these upper class people don't do this kind of thing yeah now are we to assume I don't know. do we go along with him or mm. do we say oh get out of it of course they damn will do and he's just done it I don't see how you could possibly not think the temple is the murderer mm. Mm. 
for me, like, and it, I don't, I don't know if Lois, uh, if Lois Austin Lee does think he's the murderer or has set him up as a murderer. But for me, it was so clear that he is the murderer. Is. I can't imagine no. how you could possibly think I that he's not. I was looking at. I haven't marked the page, but where he um, he last sees the cousin, it's in his rooms, and he hands him the drink, and then he dies, and he dies. I'm like, that's that's a murder. And they say he goes, he goes to the bar to get the drink, and he's away for a little a little bit longer than you would think it would take him to just get a drink. He brings a drink back to Wellen, hands it to him, and he, his hand is shaking. Yeah. He murders him. He murders him. So he there, must. So therefore... So therefore, is this completely subversive? Yeah, yeah, therefore, is this completely subversive? As, yeah. And so the Canadian is wrong. The Canadian takes that passage from Northanger Abbey at its face value, which you can't mm. if you're going to understand Northanger Abbey, Jane Austen, and and her critique so is i i i can't decide if this is one of the cleverest things i've ever read mm. or if it is as we said at the beginning of this just totally irritating conservative tribe fox mm. hunting loving tribe that asks us to take on all these values i don't know i would like it to be really subversive I think that it's almost impossible to believe the temple isn't the murderer. No, no, you can't. You, you can't. Mm -hmm. you, it just makes no, absolutely no sense the temple isn't the murderer. I mean, you, no. you basically see him murder him. I don't you understand do. how yeah. you could possibly say he's not. No. I don't know because, <laughs> as you say, if this is subversive, then it's very clever and very subtle. It's incredibly clever, and, and she's a fire-breathing radical. Yeah. But, she hates it all. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know how – Austin's family was very, was very conservative. Mm -hmm. After she died, they were very conservative, and they tried to, to manage her a posthumous literary reputation in very conservative ways, yeah. and they tried to iron out the – the social critique they tried yes. to this is where we get our dear aunt jane kind of image oh, which is is yeah. created by the austin lee family and didn't they destroy a lot of her they letters? destroyed a lot of her letters cassandra her sister destroyed a lot of her letters but her her family later especially the austin lee branch which was connected to her older brother um were very very conservative and i mean this is the victorian period so people were so a little bit more from her death yeah people were yeah. more conservative generally than in than in the regency so do they start managing her reputation in the victorian period yeah her, her nieces Early. and nephews started managing her okay. reputation just yeah. very very soon mm. after her death really mm. so she dies in 1818 mm. 1817 sorry okay. um and she her reputation is heavily managed Almost immediately. Okay, so uh, Victorian period, so 1837. So even before then, yeah. they're starting to make... So yeah. she must be saying some pretty explosive, explosive things in the letters. Wouldn't you yeah, jump she's to very, that conclusion? She's extremely... From the letters that we have, she's extremely bitchy, which yeah, I love. wonderful. Yeah. She's extremely frank. Yes. And she's a bit more frank about things like... Not explicitly, but yeah. she will mention things to do with sex, yes. childbirth, yes. Um, you know, bodily functions. Yes. She's nobody's um, fool, she, and she she's not. She's not a prim and proper. No, never. You know, no. I, the, the the letter that I love that always makes me think about this is she talks about a woman who's had 
you know, X amount of children as people did in those days. And she's, um, she says something like, poor animal, she does not have, she does not have that around her, which would make this comfortable. And like, you just get a sense of like how involved she was in like those really earthy, you know, childbirth and the, the wear and tear on women's bodies and, you know, the struggles that like the real bodily struggles that women had at the time. Which actually was part of the day-to-day -day reality of, of life, of yeah. life for even aristocratic women. Absolutely, unless they were not getting pregnant at all. Yeah, which, which is what which, she did because yeah, she opted out yeah. of that. Yeah, but they still had their periods. They still yeah. had sisters and family who were having children. They still were facing the infant mortality rate. Yeah, they were facing death every day. They were facing not talk about not having showers and baths. You know, they were yeah. facing the reality of trying to keep a human body clean yeah. without modern plumbing. And I mean, in the country, in Don't the mud. Yeah, the country, the mud. So I think yes, that yes. I don't know whether mm. that context makes me think that she's conserv that she is that conservative person. Yes. Because I think that the family were very invested in this dear Aunt yes. Jane kind yes. of portrayal of her. Yeah. That I think that maybe Austin Lee is implicated in because I mean Austin Lee is writing in 1931, yeah. but that's a hundred years after. Yeah. Um. After 115 years after Jane Austen died, yeah. which sounds like a lot, but he's not actually. Like she would have grown up with grandparents who would have met Austen potentially. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and we haven't. We have to fess up here, listeners, because we haven't read any other of her novels. Although, aren't you looking forward to reading the Gobblecock the mystery? Gobblecock mystery. That's what her yes. other novel. Now, one of her really, other novels, the Gobblecock know, mystery. Now, the meaning of cock is long-standing. So, it, it, if it, there there is, <laughs> it has to be long, about a rooster, right? Long-standing. Long she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No. no. <laughs> Dearie me, this is degenerated no, quickly. No, it's, it's gobblecock. That was my fault. Yes, I yeah. guess it was your fault. But she can't not know. what. She can't be aware that using that title for the novel is, is raise eyebrows even now. Well, yes. more now. Than, yeah. oh. So, look, I don't know. We're working blind here a bit. I have I have to say, because I read, I read this once over my really tainted Christmas. Yes. And hated it and got all upset. Then when you said we were going to do the podcast, I read it again. And my whole, all my ideas a bit flipped. And I thought, no, because when I read it the first time, when the Canadian suddenly said, look, you know, I had it all wrong. I thought Professor Temple had killed him. But then I realized this doesn't happen in this country. And I just went along with it, you know, yeah. instead of. So my, my critical faculties were for some reason disabled by this really rather nice Canadian. But you are warned that the Canadian can't read this high-end society. Remember there's all those he's an scenes yeah. where he doesn't, he, he says please to meet you when he meets all these people and they're all cringing because mm. of his, you know, you don't say that to the uppers, you know. Yeah. You know. God only and knows he gets why. It all right. you know? And he eats, he uses his, he, he can't eat proper. And yeah. He's, he's a bit Eliza Doolittle-ish. Yeah, he uses the wrong forks and, he's, and stuff. But yeah. he's lovely. But, but you, you're set up. If you're reading carefully, we were talking about reading carefully in, yeah. in the last podcast. If you read carefully, he is not a reliable um, interpreter of what, what he's seeing. Well, he's very sort of seduced by the, 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 the image that they put out of themselves as this like, yes. very genteel, very um, yes. ordered, rational, you yes. know, the way the English define yes. themselves and in various Cambridge, ways. And it's Cambridge, you know. He, yeah. it's, so it's the upper intelligentsia. It's yeah. aristocratic, scholarly Cambridge. And he is seduced by it. And I think that's what the novel is telling us. 
Yeah. That that <coughs> it, 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 it's 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 if if this is the case, it's wonderfully clever. If it yeah, because I agree. you can read the entire. It's very rare to have a novel that there are two quite discrete and logical, oppo totally opposed meanings of yeah. it. And this is one of them. And I think that either reading is very persuasive. Well, I did think that when I, at Christmas time, yeah. but when I flipped, I flipped forever. Okay. I, I, I've, I've gone over to the side that it's, it's actually, it's very clever critique. And it, it knocks the romance um, paradigms on their head. Well, I mean, if, if that subversive reading is, is the correct one, which I'm increasingly being convinced by you that it I'm potentially is. I'm you into it, aren't I? Yeah. yeah. Um, then it's completely undermining the romance plot because she's just married a murderer. She's just married a murderer who once was toothless, but, you know. And, who has an explosive temper. Who, who yeah. has an explosive temper and who is of a jealous temperament. Mm. Good luck with that. Uh, good luck with that one, yeah. yes. So that completely undermines. So what she's done, see, if you read it in the light of Northanger Abbey, what she's actually done is put the Gothic back. You know how yeah. Austen takes it out of Northanger Abbey. Austen Lee puts it back into the incredible crime. By having an actual murder. That's, yeah. that's clever. That is clever. And the title is a dead giveaway, The Incredible Crime. Mm. Not because it's clever, but because people don't believe that it can be committed. Because yeah. these are your uppers, these are your aristocrats. Oh, no, no Cambridge Don would ever murder anybody. No. What, dearest Miss Morland, dearest Stephanie, yeah. what ideas have you I been know. admitting? Fancy thinking a guy Fancy. who obviously puts something in a glass... Yes. Handshaking mm. and then gives it to someone who immediately yes. dies. Yes, I mean, was a murderer. Obviously, he's from Cambridge, you know, yeah. Cambridge University Press. Oh. You know, the Duke and Duchess. It, it, well, only good things only good come things out of Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah, I mean, so, look. Did we buy into that one? Yeah, you're increasingly convincing mm. me that the subversive mm. reading is the right one. Well, I'm going to. And you know what also strikes me about that quote? <laughs> yeah, you know what also strikes me about that quote that people often miss or like miss when they're reading yeah. it? The yeah. quote from Northanger Abbey. Is the neighborhood of voluntary spies? You know, it's, like it leaps. I can never read it out mm. without stopping. As yeah. I'm, yes. Is it? And isn't that so, Jane Austen? Yeah, the neighborhood of voluntary spies. She's just describing a sort of creepy, insidious surveillance it's a culture. It's a police state. It's a police it's a state. KGB. Yeah, and I mean, she's and <laughs> and the thing that we lose is that in the seventh. So this Northanger Abbey was originally started in the 1790s. And then subsequently, it was posthumously published. Mm. So she's writing this in the 1790s when there was all this French Revolution panic. Yeah. And there was, yeah, there was a surveillance culture. You know, heaps of um, mm. writers and intellectuals, even scientists, were turfed out of England because of, they were too seditious. They were too, um, they were too radical. Um, you know, people were monitoring um, what people said. Um, there was, um, you know, cases of, like, people following around Wordsworth and Coleridge and trying to get them into trouble for things really? that they said. Yeah. And... There was this Pitt's government had really um, harsh um, sedition laws no, and all of this and no. Treasonable Practices Act and all of this, treasonable. Um, the, the people were monitored, especially like um, corresponding societies and intellectual societies were monitored. So she's tapping into what's actually happening. Happening. You know, where people were constantly on yeah. the, on the um, alert for yeah. anything that sounded like it was, you know, support for those 
So those uppity That's French. Um, yeah. yeah. So across the water. Yeah. So she's she's describing and and like presenting it. And if you read Henry Tilney's, yeah. If you read this as like a take take mm. it as state at, at face value, he's saying, yeah, police states are great because it means no murders happen. Which, of course, is nonsense. It's a, and, you know, yes. nobody is calling for a police state. I but hope. also, I, I, I'm i fascinated that you say that because I didn't know about that mm. level of social panic. I knew that there was a general level of social panic about the revolution, yeah. you know, registered in the monk and all that. You know, these nasty people across the Europeans, you know, what are you going to do yeah, about yeah. them? They, they have They're all hot-headed. And, They're not like yeah, us, yeah. for yeah. heaven's sakes. Keep them out. But isn't it interesting that it it shifts there. So where every man is surrounded by a neighborhood of voluntary spies, that relates to the political reality you're talking about. That and she was quite young when she was uh, 20, yeah. 21, 22. She when was she's in, in her twenties. You know. But isn't it typical of Austen that she understands that also within the familial social yeah. context? So the spies are making sure that X doesn't have relation you know mm. sex with y and 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 everybody's being genteel and everybody's playing by the rules and we can't have any interbreeding between the classes and this that and the other so it seems to me so typical of austin that she takes what you fascinatingly argue is a political comment and makes it but also embeds it within domestic politics yeah familial Politics. And that's what is the genius of Austen, that she yeah. is always able to take the political and make it domestic and, and look at that interaction yes, between the political and does. the domestic. And that's what people miss about her. Yeah, they do. They they misread her. They don't, They they as you put it, the, the Aunt Jane, the little the spinster yeah. who didn't know anything about anything. I yeah, mean, it was really. just... And like even... <laughs> yeah, like even in the introduction to this, the, talk, the, the person who writes the introduction talks about how she wrote her, her books on... You know the same the days little, um, the the writing slope. Yeah, the I've little, seen that. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah. And um, it's just I don't know. It kind of she's not she doesn't say anything bad about Austen here, or, or but just the yeah. way that they kind of the family bought into this, like oh, you know, she just wrote on a little desk and she hid her writing. It annoys me because it really wasn't what Austen she, was she like at all. Like, she wasn't like that at all. And we have this image of her yeah. like trying never to reveal her identity and never yeah, reveal that she's. Yeah. And she wasn't like that. If you read her her, her letters, she wanted to make money. She was yeah. really professional. She wanted to make money. Yes. She wanted to handle her business negotiations. Yeah. She wanted to yeah. um, her writing to be taken seriously. She collected the reviews, and you know, if she if she got a crappy review, she'd be you know write in an outrage to her sister and say, "Look at this idiot who's you know." She must have been so thwarted at every turn. Yeah. Because the way I read her is that she had one of those wonderfully supple, take-no-prisoners intellects. Yeah. She just didn't fall for any kind of bullshit. Yeah, I've always said that, you know, when people say, like, who would you like to have at a dinner party? Yeah. I I always say Jane Austen, but then I think no, because um, I get the feeling that she would just zero in on any kind of floor in your character and just tear you to shreds and she may just disappear before your eyes yeah you, you, she'd know we wanted her there as jane austen and she would just pull the shutters down yeah Dep i don't know i want emily bronte at my dinner party too oh yeah she'd be so and, and she, braddon mary yeah. elizabeth braddon george Eliot. yes mm. yes yes but yes no no we have to have austen we're even if yeah no but i'm so scared of like what, how would be. she how would she assess me i feel oh, like she'd be oh harshly and yeah. Me, yeah, me too yeah, yeah. she'd tear us both to shreds well we are australian yeah, yeah that's that, right that, we are <laughs> 
Unfortunate colonials, yeah. But, you know, I... I, So, um, So given all of this... Given all of this... I just don't know... Look, I I am very convinced by your arguments, I have to say, um, about the the potential subversiveness of this book. The fox hunting still really annoys me. Oh, it does, it does. Because I don't know that the fox hunting is ever presented as critically as the romance plot is. I think there's that... Mm. Kind of Amazonian aspect to prudence that 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 the novel reinforces. So, yeah, I can't stand. I the, the I I can't argue. I can't argue that away. I, I hate it. Beyond so, if it's, if if it is subversive, what I think it is subversive of is the romance plot. Yeah, and also that perception that no bad can happen amongst the upper classes. Yes, yes, and it's also mm. subversive of the the generic constraints of the yeah. um, detective story because yeah. really murder has to, it has to be solved. We have to find the murderer one way mm. or another in classic detective fiction. Well, the murderer not only goes free, he marries the heroine. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you think about this book as a, as a detective novel, I was actually surprised by, A, there's not that much murder. Um, no. there's, well, there's one murder, there's but one. it happens very, very late in the book. Yes. Very, very yes. late. I mean, yes. really, three quarters yes. of the novel. Yes. I mean, it's about drug smuggling yes. or smuggling of goods. Yes. It's not clear what is yes. actually being smuggled. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and fox smuggling. Which fox is smuggling, odd. which is weird. I mean, yeah. I thought England might have... Anyway, um, mm. there's the, the murder is very tacked on at the end, yes. and that's not at all what I expected. Um, primarily, I think it's not because it's not what I expected because of the way this is presented. Yeah. Um, it's presented, so it's been recently republished for the first time since its original kind yes. of publication. When was this published? You, it, it, this has been republished. Oh, 2017. So yeah, really it was published recent. last year. Yeah. Yeah. Which is how I found out about it because yeah. there was a bit of um, of of media about you know her being the great great niece mm. of Jane Austen. Yeah done a lot of work on Austen. Have you ever come across any members of the family who actually go against the Aunt Janeing of her? Is Not until later. Kind of split? Not until later, no. Oh. Very her, her Victorian, um, mm. her nieces and nephews, because yeah. obviously she didn't have any kids, yeah. um, her nieces and nephews, some of them became quite wealthy. Oh. Um, Lady Fanny Natchbull was her, oh, yeah. one of her nieces. So she, she had a um, quite wealthy family. And they mostly perpetuated that view. I mean, I was reading, um, I haven't read the book, but there's um, been a recent book by a descendant oh. of the family who, um, she's now living in Australia, I believe. She grew up in Chawton House. Really? Yeah. Um, I haven't read the book yet. And it's about, you know, she was the last member of the family to grow up in the in one of the family mm. houses. Um, so I think they've been very comfortably well off for a while. Her descendants. So, so they don't. What are you saying? They don't want to frighten the horses. Or? I think they're not. Mm. I don't think her family were the, you know, like radical fright. I don't know much about her descendants. No. I have to admit, I haven't no. really done any. No. Um, I know a bit. I mostly know about the people who wrote about yes. her. Yes. But yes. um, yeah, I don't. I just don't know that um, her be... family were very, you know, burning and, down the and patriarchy Austin herself. So she died in 1968, so... But she stopped writing in 1938. Yeah, so we don't... She's quite mysterious, isn't she? We don't... I mean, wouldn't it be lovely if somebody was listening... If anybody is listening to this podcast who knows anything about her, can you please email yeah. me, Leo Bryan? And CC <laughs> and me, MQ. Stephanie Russo. Yeah, yeah CC Stephanie. MQ.edu, Leo Bryan. Find me on the website. I'd love to know 
if anyone knows anything about it, not that, you know, we have to go by the, the, the novel, but I would, I'd love it if she was a kind of black sheep yeah. <laughs> in the Austen family. But you know, if we, Austen deserves to be seen independently of that. And, and, but what I love about this novel is that Austen Lee is taking on a much more interesting aspect of Jane Austen. Mm. And she's she's actually reinforcing in our my reading and possibly now your reading of the novel, she's actually reinforcing that really harsh and very wised up view of the people she has Austin had to live her life and the society she was in. He she's Austin Lee is actually reinforcing that. Yeah, and I mean it's certainly like if you like if you think of like Jane Austen's body of work, mm. she's chosen to zero in on that, which is a very political, very yeah. contested, very yeah. interesting statement. It's not like she's, you know, no. rewriting Elizabeth and Darcy's love story. No, she's not. Yeah. And Northanger Abbey is very much about the writing of novels, yeah. isn't it? And, I mean, that's what I meant on the first page, that, you know, what, what happens is yeah. um, Prudence is, is reading a mystery. Yes. And she says, yes. what impossible, incredible, yes. unutterable build yes. is modern detective fiction. Yes. There is nothing stranger in fiction than there is in real life. Yeah. But, you know, rereading that makes me think that, yes, your subversive reading is right yeah. because she's starting with this, like, Oh, you know what's in what's in detective fiction is incredible, and what's what they find incredible at the end is the idea that murder could happen in Cambridge. So that makes me think that you're right. Yeah. So we're going to have to write something on this, definitely. I know. Figuring out is this the worst book of all time, or, or is, is this the actually best, the cleverest book of all time? One of the time? cleverest detective fiction novels ever written. Yes, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really becoming convinced of the latter. And some of the most interesting analysis and understanding of what Jane Austen was about too. So as even as literary criticism, genre criticism, it's interesting too. Yeah. So we're going to have to add this to our OSP agenda, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's so much to do here. I know. So yeah, but it, and there's so much to think about. It's interesting. Although I might have I to, think, yeah. if I reread, I might have to skip the fox hunting. Skip the fox hunting. I hate the mythologizing of it, the, the sentimentalizing of it. That you know, anyone who who kills a fox by any other means than than hunting is is tantamount to a murderer. Yeah, so the, wasting a good fox. Yeah, wasting yeah. a good fox. Why why kill an animal humanely when you can chase it to death, dig it out of the earth where it's gone to for shelter mm. and have the hounds tear it to shreds before your eyes? Then you cut its brush off mm. and drape that over your saddle and go home to your stately. I mean, really. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Know, yeah. Good on you, mate. I, really, you know, you can understand the hunt saboteurs. In fact, I don't know why the, how they're so, yeah, why they're so sort of measured in their response. Yeah, I know. It's just a horrible thing. It's like, how is that fun? Yeah, how is that what fun? What is that? What what yeah. element is fun yeah, of yeah. that? Well, in Georgia, there's a cockfighting. Yeah, Empire. that's true. There's a badger drawing. They yeah. Draw. Uh, these people actually kill otters as well because otters mm. eat the fish. Fish, yeah. And if it's interfering with their trout fishing, they go along and they club the otters to death. It's just such a weird hobby. They shoot pheasants. Yeah. And snipe, is it? They they kill things. They, these people I can understand killers. how, like hunting, if you are a hunter-gatherer and yes. you need to eat, <laughs> you know, but they're not eating. But not if you've got a fridge full of food at home. No, from, this is from, not this is not hunting for food for subsistence. <laughs> this is just this is just death and destruction. So they're hunters. That's what that's what Austin Lee is telling us. Yeah. They're they're murderers. Maybe that's how we redeem the fox hunting. Because these fox hunting people, that should be a clue mm. that they're actually not 
all that then maybe well see maybe that yes but i don't think an upper class would are we getting into our our we're middle yeah. class australians would maybe we're reading our, yes yeah and, and and that kind of world is so alien to us so i wonder how i wonder you know how class factors into the reading of this but then again not all English aristocrats are hunters, are they? I don't know. I don't think they are. Some of them are philanthropists. Aren't yeah, they? some of them are nice. Some Look at Prince Charles. Weird. He's very engaged he's in very, like yes, all he, of these he issues. Does gardening and things. Does yeah, he, he does. He, he plays polo. I don't know does, if he hunts. He I have hunt? no idea. I just know he's no. he's really into climate change and yes. sustainable energy yeah, and all yeah, of that. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't look like the sort of man who'd enjoy watching an animal tortured to death. Yeah, but uh, oh, who, but me. who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, this is a good indication, though, the fact that this novel is so hard to figure out and yeah. is so potentially subversive and so potentially complex yes. is a good example of what we were talking about in the um, AME on podcast yes. about the potential of crime to really dig down and discuss some really interesting things. Absolutely. If it is this subversive novel, then it's doing something incredibly clever and incredibly Real. And, political. And, and something that you can only do within a straitjacket genre, yeah. such as detective fiction. Because yeah. it only works if you've got that idea of what detective fiction should be doing yeah. and what romance should be doing. Mm. And it, it works. She's taken those limitations and it's true subversion. She's mm. blown it up from, the, from inside. From inside. Yeah. But we don't, I mean, maybe she, if she was sitting here, and she could be looking at us and saying, oh, for heaven's sake, you stupid women, you know, yeah. you're reading too much in what I've said. Of course he didn't murder his cousin. Yeah, fox hunting is great. Fox yeah. hunting is great. He, 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 he was a professor at Cambridge. Then I thought, Philby Burgess and Maclean. <laughs> <laughs> They came yeah. from Cambridge, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, that's true. They, they, were, they, they were there at about this time, I think, you know, yeah. ferreting away for the Russians. That's right. So Cambridge doesn't just have Stephen Hawking. And yeah, really, you know, and like really clever people. And really clever people. Cambridge was actually a hotbed of, um, of, of really treacherous traitors. Oh, dear. <laughs> the Russians, they're everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> Maybe they're fox hunting. And, and they have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So, look, I have to, I'm I'm, I'm endlessly grateful to you. Nah. I, I do. Even though I ruined your even Christmas. Even though you, you unsettled my Christmas. I wouldn't say ruined, but you unsettled my Christmas. But I have to say, thinking about this novel has been one of the most illuminating experiences mm. for me. Because we both love detective fiction. Yeah. We both love genre forms. We love them because they're, they're modes of complexity, not modes mm. of simplification. And if ever you wanted an example of mm. that, there it is. Why don't we put this on our um, detective Oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, we could even teach this, couldn't we? So we mm. could move on from podcasting um, to and see And see what our students... And see what our students make of it. Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm. Yes. And, yeah. and all you people listening, you know, we, your, your homework is to go and buy this novel and read it and tell us. Give us some feedback. Tell yes. us. Yes. Tell us. Is it subversive is or super this, conservative? It, it, yes. Yeah. Is this all in praise of fox hunting and Cambridge or is this the most devastating critique thereof? Yes, and it is a very attractive volume, I have to it say. It is an attractive volume. It is a very nice it's volume. It's not like Georgette Hire with all those stupid-looking, soppy women on the cover. No. It, it's actually, you know... It uh, is a it, very it, nice it, cover. It's a nice cover. They're, have they 
I don't know if they've released anything else. The well, gobblecock. I, I don't think the gobblecock is really it's viable. Out, it's not out and um, about yet. Um, we want it. Yeah, I think that... Um, I want all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to read her others. I think that would also contextualise whether it is subversive or not, if we could read it more would, of her yes, stuff. Yes, yeah. if we could read other stuff. I wonder, did she leave any letters? Some I research I, to find out. I get the impression that she just disappeared. She seems um, to have disappeared after the, the war. Record. Yeah. yeah. And it, I didn't realize. What did you say? She stopped writing. She in stopped 38, writing. Yeah, she stopped 38. writing in thirty eight because wonder, of the war. Oh, yeah. because of the war. Oh, of course, the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, that. So she, her house was <laughs> set up as a defence site in the war. She was. It says Oldborough was a crucial defence site where she <gasps> lived. Um, and one, and she, yeah. So she said she drove an ambulance, um, in the war in oh, the introduction. Oh, she so sounds she, like a good egg to me. Yeah. I think I think um, those sort of people had courage beyond yeah. the usual, didn't they? She yeah, I'd probably like a, be hiding in the hole somewhere. Yeah, I would yeah. be too. I, I think that how many of us face that kind of experience and stand up and say, yep, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do I would, that. I would not. Yeah. We have completely run out of time. We've mate. run out of time. But this was fascinating. I'm glad I pushed it on to you, even though yes, fox hunting notwithstanding. Yes, I am too. I can't, you know, Stephanie enriches my life in that. Oh, no, no. You know, Lee I, enriches open, my... I open an email. Have you read this? Have you read this? It's Saturday night. <laughs> I'm reading the Times Literary Supplement. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Stephanie. So this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on um, Apple Podcasts, that would be very, very helpful. And send us feedback. And if you've read the or reading The Incredible Crime, please let us know what you think and if we're on the wrong track completely. Oh, we'd love um, that. We mm. would love to hear feedback mm. on, especially this novel, because it's so mm. interesting. Mm. Um, so we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye. Bye.